0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. And so this morning, I, I really... I wanted to talk about two subjects this morning. I really wanted to go uh, to talk about two subjects that are dear to my heart that I really wanted to share with you this morning. But as I sort of planned it out, and Tim and I had our little planning meeting, as I planned it out, I really could not uh, bring them together, and the reason why I couldn't bring them together because you wouldn't listen for four hours. So, uh, so, so I'm really gonna I'm really gonna dive in today on on what I believe is one of the misunderstood, uh, one of the texts that are not text, but one of the attributes of God that that people so misconstrue, and that is this. I want to talk about God is love. So I want you to take your Bible and I want you to begin to find First John chapter four, First John chapter four, and I want us to talk about this thing that God is love. One theologian writes this, listen to what he says. He said, when we look at God's wisdom, we see something about his mind. When we when we think about his power, we see something of his hands and his arms. When we consider his word, we learn something about his mouth. But now contemplating his love, we look into his heart. That's so awesome, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to be able to have an X-ray of God's heart this morning? Wouldn't you love to be able to have an ultrasound, to be able to look in and see what is going on in the heart of God? Well, the good news is the word does that for us. We don't have to be left on the outside looking in, wishing we can look into the word of God as God has revealed himself in the word and we can begin to see this heart of God and we begin to see this love that God has. So 1 John chapter four, verse seven and following, we're gonna look through verse 16 this morning and listen to just the words of John as he writes, "'Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God, there it is underlining, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him.'" In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever, he says, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is Love, underline it. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. We have bookends. Do you see the bookends? God is love, right? There's the bookends. There's where we begin to think about what is this love, you know? you got to ask yourself, what does it mean that God is love, you know? Uh, J.I. Packer, in his great book, Knowing God, listen to what he says. He says, God is love is one of the most tremendous utterances in the Bible and also one of the most misunderstood. False ideas have grown up around it like a hedge of thorns, hiding its real meaning from view. And it is no small task cutting through this tangle of mental undergrowth. It's so true. We get this misunderstanding. What does it mean when we say God is love? John MacArthur writes in his commentary three sort of misconceptions that people have about the love of God, let me read them to you and I'm gonna to add to it. Listen to what he says. Number one, he says, there is this idea by which God is love is not meant to be, uh, to depersonalize God. So sometimes when people think about, you know, God is love, it sort of depersonalizes God and what it does is it make love, makes love sort of the, the main thing, you know what I'm saying? It's like people, when they talk about the love of God, they talk about, well, it's love, you know? And so here's what they do. They say, God is love and then they say, no, love is God. And the reality is you cannot say that. That is not what John is saying in the text. No way ever can you reinterpret that text to say that love is God. Because that depersonalizes God. That makes him some kind of force. That makes him some kind of feeling. But isn't that what people have done? That's exactly what people have done, y'all. And and what they've done is they've made him a non-personal being. And as a result of that, he's just a cosmic energy. John MacArthur goes on to say, he said, the second thing is this. This verse by no means identifies God with everything our society labels as love. Boy, isn't that true? When we think about God as love, we're not saying that God is sensual. We're not saying that at all, right? There is sensual love. And we're not saying that God is sensual because he's not. God, God is not that, amen? And so we have to be careful that we don't identify love as we understand it back upon God and say, well, God is just this, you know, he, he is everything we think love is because it's not true. He goes on, he says, those who cite this verse to attempt to legitimize illicit forms of love, he said, are about as far from the apostles' intent as you can possibly get. The love of which he speaks is a pure and holy love consistent with all of his divine attributes. That's important. We'll come back to it in a minute. The third thing that John MacArthur says, and I agree with him, is this. This is not meant to be a definition of God or a summary of his attributes. So in other words, what he is not doing, John is not saying, if you want to know who God is, love. That's not what he's saying. He's not trying to define who God is by saying he is love. It's no different than if you remember the beginning of chapter 1 in 1 John 4, or excuse me, chapter 1 of 1 John, he talks about God is light. Well, light doesn't define who God is, right? It talks about his attribute of purity, his attribute of holiness. And so when we think about God, we think about God is light, God is love. God is light. Listen, God has revealed himself not just the God of light, but he's also revealed himself the God of love and the God of life, right? And so when we think about that, we think we are not trying to define who God is by saying that God is love. He goes on and says, divine love in no way minimizes or nullifies God's other attributes. In other words, what do we mean by that? What we mean by that is what I'm going to say here next, and that is this. Too many times what people have done to define the love of God is this, they equate the love of God with the absence of trouble, the absence of conflict, the absence of disaster, or on the other hand, they define it with good health, prosperity, I mean, we, we see it all the time. We I, I've seen preachers even do it. I've seen, I've seen preachers who have nice trucks. They go to pastors meeting, got these nice trucks, you know, trucks that you would be envious of having. And I think, man, where does he work? I gotta get that kind of paycheck. But anyway, so he's got this real nice, neural nice truck, right? And <clears throat> on the back of the truck is, you know, a verse, you know, God is good. What's the impression that people are gonna get from that? The impression people are gonna get from that is because you got a nice truck, God's good. Let me just tell you something. Because you've got a nice house, a nice car, nice kids, nice clothes, nice this, nice that, has nothing to do with the fact that God is love or God is good. Because God is good regardless of what you and I own. Because that is who God is. And when we think about God is love, God's love for us is who he is. That is who he is in his nature and his character. And we're gonna work our way down to a definition in just a minute. So I want you to think about Why do we get this wrong? Why do people get it wrong? It's because what I said last week and what I said the week before, we have a low view of who God is. We want to contain God to being the man upstairs. And the reality is that is blasphemous talk. The reality is we should never address our holy God in such vain terms. See, it's time that the church, God's people, begin to realize that our God sits high and lifted up and he is to be awed and adored and we ought to be living for his glory and not our own and we ought to be making much of him and less of ourselves. And if we are not doing that, it's because we have gotten misplaced in our priorities and we have gotten a low view of who God is and it has sunken us back into the warpness of our own thinking. And we must change that. And one of the intentionalities of this year is for us, as we start off this year, to get a glimpse of God and who he is, that we can put God in his proper place. And I believe, as we put God in his proper place, we exalt him for who he is. And as the people of God are drawn and rally around that truth, listen, God can use those people. God can use those people. And so let me define, what do we mean by God is love. Let me give you a definition. It's two parts. Let me give it to you. Number one, love flows from the very nature of God. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that? That is the core of his nature. That is that you cannot separate love, God's love from himself. That, that God in his, in his intrinsic self, in his intrinsic of his nature to be love, to, to be loving let me express it this way in definition number two. His love finds expression in everything that he says and does. His love finds expression in everything that he says. So how do we know God is love? We know God is love because it's intrinsic. It is who he is, but it is demonstrated. It is expressed to us throughout the pages of the word of God in what he says and what he does. And let me add to this because you got to have the rest of this definition. I should have put it on the screen, but it's an afterthought. So love finds its expression in everything he says it does. And then let me add to this. His love in no way is in conflict with the rest of who God is. Or that we would say the rest of his other attributes. Like we talked last week, being holy. So God's love is always holy, pure, Right? It works together in those attributes, not separate of. And so God is love when He expresses His holiness. God is being loving when He expresses His righteousness. God is holy and loving when He's expressing His justice. God is loving in who He is when He expresses, we don't like this, ready? His wrath. Think about that. We don't like that. We want God to be a God of love that's sending everybody to heaven and nobody to hell. Yet even those who will go to hell is an expression out of the love of God. Do I understand the mystery? I don't. Do I struggle with that mystery sometimes? Yes, I do. I can just tell you, it's biblically true. It's what the Bible says. And it's a truth that we cannot ignore. Amen? So, God is love. That is, love flows out of his very nature because it's intrinsic to who he is, and his love finds expression in everything that he says and does. And in no way conflicts with the rest of his attributes of who God is. You ready to go home? That's pretty deep, isn't it? That's deep. Well, I read a lot of stuff this past few weeks about preparing, so i preparing. So I'm trying to bring it down to our level, amen? I'm trying to help it come down to my level, at least. If that comes down to my level, I'm pretty dumb. So if it can get on my level, then I, I hope it'll hit y'all who are a little more intelligent than me. So God is love. That's a reality, right? Verse eight, God is love. How'd you underline it? Verse 16, the book ends. The book ends there. God is love, God is love. We get it, God is love. Now, Here's the second thing I want you to write down. God's love on display. Now, we said that a definition of God's love is what? It is, it is seen, right? It is expressed in everything that he says and does. Well, if that's, the, if that's true, then what John helps us to see is what, what did God do? How did God express this love to us? And that's where we look in the text. I want you to go back to verse 7. And we're going to move our way into verses 9 and 10. And we're going to camp on 9 and 10 for a few minutes, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but listen to, verse, listen to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. That's a great foundational truth, right? That's the new commandment Jesus gave us, by the way, is to love one another. For love is of God. So love, God demonstrates love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, we're going to come back to that because that's important, okay? But notice verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. Here it is. Here's how God expressed himself in his love. In this the love of God was manifested. I'm using the word displayed. How did God display his love? How did God reveal his love? Paul said or John says, how did he do that? He said, it was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. How does God express his love? How does he put it on display? He sent Jesus into the world. He gave us Jesus. Wow, that's pretty incredible. That's not all he says though. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we love God, But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus into the world. And guess what? And by loving you. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Think about it for a minute. That's pretty incredible. That Jesus would come into the world and that God would love you. That's pretty outstanding. And we'll talk about reason why here in just a minute. So I want you to think about he displayed his love to us through Jesus. So how did God do that? Verse 9, he tells us that God sent, manifested toward us, he sent his son into the world, his only begotten son. I want you to think about Jesus coming into the world for a minute, and I want you to just think about outside this text, we're gonna get to what he says here, but I want you to think about what Jesus said about himself coming into the world and displaying God's love. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've come to reveal the Father. If you remember in John 14, nine, we'll put these on the screen. In 14, nine, here's what Jesus said. Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? Philip questions him. And he says, um, he who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Show us the Father. Well, what? Jesus said, you just look at me. If you look at me, guess what? What does God say? God says through Jesus, not only the salvific part, we're going to get there, but he's also saying through Jesus, if you look at the life of Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus is glorifying the the Father in heaven. He's representing the Father on earth. And everything he did, everything he said, remember he said, he did as his father gave it to him. He did out of, remember Jesus follower sermon series? He did everything out of that basic foundational relationship with the father. And out of that relationship with the father, the father was portrayed through him. And so when you looked at Jesus, when Jesus spoke, It was God speaking. When Jesus did the miracle, it was God doing miracles. When Jesus cast out demons, it was God casting out demons. When Jesus calmed the sea, it was God calming the sea. Amen? When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When Jesus is loving the woman of Samaria, it is him, the Father, doing that. When Jesus stands over Jerusalem weeping, wishing that they would have received him as Messiah, it's God weeping over the nation. Amen? And so here Jesus is reflecting the Father. But not only that, Jesus loves us as the Father loves. Listen to John fifteen nine. Jesus given giving that great abide passage, by the way. It doesn't stop with if, you know, you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. <clears throat> Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a whole bunch more that he says in there about abiding. Not just abiding in me, but he also about abiding in his word, abiding in his joy. And here he says in verse 9 of 15, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Do what? Abide in my love. So, when we look at the life of Jesus, what do we see? We see the love of the Father being poured out through his life to even his disciples and those that he walked among every day. You're saying, okay, that's awesome. But what about the text? Well, let's get back to it then. Look what he says in verse 9. In this, the love of God was revealed or manifested or on display towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that, here it is, that we might live through him. Preacher, what does that mean? Well, you have to take verse 10 to help understand what it means because it says this, in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, here it is, to be the propitiation for our sins. What do we mean when we begin to think about Jesus coming? What was he literally? Well, according to verse 9 and 10, Jesus came to be the sacrifice for your sin. That's how God loves you. God provided the sacrifice for your sin debt. That listen, that listen, you could not do. You could not provide for yourself a sacrifice. We learned this very quickly just reading Genesis, right? I mean, Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, and what did they try to do? They tried to cover their sin with fig leaves and it didn't work. (laughs) Isn't that how we try to do it? We think that we can somehow be right with God on our own merit. It cannot be done. And so God would send Jesus into the world for us in order that he would become the sacrifice for our sin. Literally, now notice what he says in verse 10. He literally uses a word called propitiation. It is a word that is used by the Septuagint uh, translators when they took the Old Testament and, and made it into Greek. It is the word that they use in order to describe the Old Testament sacrifices. And literally, what it's talking about is that, and and I'm going to define it for you. It's Christ's sacrificial death on the cross to satisfy the demands of God's justice. So Jesus came to be born and to die on the cross. We talk about it all the time. He died for our sins. He bore our sins and died for them. He paid the penalty of those sins. But literally, as he was paying for those sins, he became the propitiation. That is, he, he, he became the one that would appease God who had his wrath abiding on us because of our sin, he would appease God that God in his gracious kindness, in his mercy, in his love, in his holiness, in his justice, in his wrath, what he would do is forgive us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And nothing else, by the way, Will work. And so we have this propitiation of Christ by which he removes the wrath of God from us by his sacrificial death on the cross. That's how Jesus is God on display. That's powerful. But my friends, we can't stop there because it doesn't stop there in the text. Because here is the reality that Romans 5 8 but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand what we are talking about this morning? It's not some quaint story. It's not just a a gospel presentation. It is to really to understand that the love of God was such that he would send his son into the world to die for your sin in your place on the cross of Calvary to appease the wrath of God when you were not good, when you were a sinner, when you were separated from God, without hope, without anything that can merit your favor towards God. He did that for you. Amen. It's not that we cleaned up our lives. We try. We tell people, oh, come to church, come to church. we got to quit inviting people to church. We can't just say, well, come to church, be good, and you're going to be right with God. That doesn't work. And we're peddling a non-gospel when we do that. We need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he died for us who were already under the wrath of God, who were already without hope, who were already on the road to hell, who were already separated from a holy God. That's who he died for. And we ought to today, we ought to rejoice, and we ought to say, praise God, thank you, Jesus, that even though I was separated, even though I was far from you, you found me, and you loved me. Thank God for that. Listen, I thank God every day. Man, when I think about texts like I read this morning in Sunday school, three times Jesus reminds us about hell, how hell is a place where the worm does not stop to eat and the fire is not cleansed. I think, thank God, thank God, thank God I'm not going there. But I also say, thank God, thank God, thank God I have a relationship with you every day. Because listen, I don't need them just to escape hell. I need them every day of my life. Every day of my life. We can't forget the old beautiful words of John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, friends, that's God's love on display through Jesus. But we can't stop there. We can't leave because we have to finish verse 10. We've not left verse 10 yet. We gotta go back. Go back to verse 10 because I want you to see something very clear. In this is love. Here it is, you ready? Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Get it out of your mind that you saved yourself. Get it out of your mind that you initiated a relationship with the Father. Get it out of your mind that one day you woke up and said, well, today is gonna be the day I'm gonna be saved. And if that thought came to your mind, and if you ever moved towards God and that ever did happen to you, can I just tell you why? Because of the love of God. I love him because he loved me first. Amen? I love him because he loved me first. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of the love of God. When I wasn't looking for him, when I didn't care about him, when I didn't love him, He pursued me with his love. That's incredible. That's awesome. That is gorgeous. And John says to us, he takes the first step, he loves us first. And you say, No, I can't believe that. Well, open your Bibles. Romans 3, 9 through 12. Listen to what it says. Paul writing to us about the lostness of men. And by the way, in that category of lostness in chapter 1, 2, and 3, he talks about the Jew, he talks about the Gentile, he talks about all men. And here's his conclusion. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we better than that? In other words, are we better than the Greeks? <laughs> because we're Jews? <laughs> Not at all. For we have previously charged, both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. We're all under wrath. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Did you catch that? There's no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. There is not a single person sitting in this auditorium who can say, I love God first. No, we'd have to say with Jesus that he came and he sought me who was lost. That's awesome, isn't it? I want you to think about that. Don't think about it the negative side. Don't, oh, he's preaching Calvinism from our pulpit. I'm not preaching Calvinism. I'm preaching the Bible. I'm telling you the truth of the word of God. Amen. And we can talk later about all that mystery about all that and how that surrounds what I, what I believe is a whosoever will may come. I, we can talk about all those things later. But, but this morning, get it, ladies and gentlemen. Get it, brothers and sisters. God pursued you and God loved you. And he loved you first when you weren't even lovable. I like the way Spurgeon says it. Here's what Spurgeon says. He said, this divine love streamed down to us from heaven who, ne- who neither deserved it, we neither purchased it, nor sought after it. Paul drives the point home to the Corinthian church this way. In 1 Corinthians one twenty six. he says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many were mighty, not many noble or called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, which uh, and the things that are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh. Here it is. That no flesh. <laughs> King glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Wow. Tozer would go on to say, as he defines God's love in his wonderful book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he would say this, the love of God is one of the greatest realities in the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God, here it is. God does not not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but men. He loves us all with a mighty love that has no beginning and can have no end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is love. God has put his love on display through Christ. And then lastly, in verse eleven, verse twelve, and verse sixteen, he reiterates, he reiterates a truth, and you 're saying, "Well, what about all the other verses pastor i don 't have time to unpack them so go home and read it, read a commentary i don 't have time to unpack all of this today, but I want to give you this one last truth this is this god 's love is implanted in believers god 's love is implanted in believers. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the love of God dwells in you, and i don 't understand how anybody can call themselves a Christian and be unloving that 's a bold statement but it's a reality. How do I know so? Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's no tiptoeing around that verse. If God loved me, and I get a vision of God's love in my life, and on display through the power of Christ who saved me, even when I didn't deserve it, even when I was outside of a relationship with God, he called me and saved me, then certainly I can love those who seem to be unlovable, especially my brothers and sisters. And by the way, that's who he's talking to. He's talking to the church, and he's talking about love within the context of the fellowship of believers. How can you not love the fellow church members you go to church with and call yourself a Christian? I submit to you, you cannot. That doesn't mean at times we can't get sideways with one another. Doesn't mean at times we may feel unloving towards somebody, but it's not the feeling it's a committed choice like that, that I make, right, to love you. It's a committed choice that I say, yeah, I don't necessarily like the way David does everything, but I love David, amen? He don't lead music very well on Sunday morning, but I, I love that man. No, I'm just teasing. He's a great guy, and I love you. I do, I love, really, really love you, and I don't know any warts you got, so, you know, hey, right now we're good. But, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. You get me, right? You get me. So, so he goes on and then he reiterates in verse 12. Notice what he says in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Now, that's true, right? Nobody's seen God. Except when you look at Jesus, you see God, right? But now, listen to what he does. Listen to how John flips it. He says, If we love one another, here it is, ready? God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. That is, it's maturing, right? So if. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us, then what is he saying there? Here's what he's saying. God can be seen through his people. He's saying in verse 12 that nobody's ever seen God at any time, but when you and I in the church have real, genuine love and concern for each other, that's a demonstration of God. Why? Because this isn't worldly, amen? This is, this is infused by the power of God. This is the grace that he has given us. And so now you and I, we are, being, we are showing God by living in love with each other. Here's how one commentator put it. He said, the unseen God thus reveals himself through the visible love of believers, the love that originated in God, here it is. The love that originated in God and was manifested through his son is now demonstrated in his people. That's powerful. That's powerful. And then he says in verse 16, you cannot be abiding in God and not loving. Here's what he says, verse 16. And we know and have believed that the love of God, that the love that God has for us, for God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in Him again, how can I not love when God supposedly lives in me? How does God live in me? Well, He talks about it here, verse thirteen, through the personhood of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to unpack all that. I wish I did. Wish we could spend all afternoon here together, but you probably would not endure it. But He demonstrates that through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and He reveals Himself. So God is is using His love in us to love one another. Again, that's not human. That's not fleshly. That's hard if we do it in the flesh. If I love you because that's the fleshly thing to do, and we say it all the time, right? I don't hurt the Lord like you, I just gotta love you. Let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you something. The love of God in me is gonna make me even like you. That's terrible, isn't it? That just shattered our, our dreams and our hopes and it just shattered what we quote all the time as truth, which is not really true because... If I truly do love you, if I truly am in the spirit, walking in the spirit, I'm even gonna like you. Now, how does that play in with deeds? Well, God said he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, And he commended the church for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I may not like the fact that you do certain things you do, but I'm gonna like you. And I'm not only gonna like you, I'm gonna love you. Amen? Amen. And you know, (laughs) I just have to be honest with you, I have to remind myself that often, when I deal with things in my life where I say you know I don't really like that person at church and I have to remind myself it's not about what you like Mike it's about what God has grafted into your life through the person of your, of your savior Jesus it's who he's made you to be and if you're not going to live in the power of the spirit and you're not going to walk in the power of the spirit and walk in the flesh yeah, you're not going to like anybody but let me tell you what are you going to accomplish when you don't like people you're not going to accomplish anything for the kingdom and certainly God is not going to reveal it in a church that can't get along Well, where does this land us? What do you do with this? What do you say? Okay, God's love, I get it, preacher. Hopefully you got a little excited when we talked about salvation and what Jesus has done for you. But what does this look like? Well, let me just tell you how Jesus brought it all down. What does it look like? Well, number one, we ought to express our love for God. If God has so loved us, yeah, we ought to love each other, but listen, we ought to express our love. How do we express our love? You're gonna get tired of hearing it. But Jesus said the first commandment is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Do you love God? Let me tell you, we talk about God as love all the time, but the question is, do we love God? The second, it's gonna manifest itself. We've sort of been talking about it and it sort of lands here, doesn't it? It lands back at the great commandment again. I'm gonna love God, but I'm also, because of God's love, I'm going to love others. And so I have to ask myself this morning, what is the reality of God's love in my life? Do do I really see God as high and lifted up? Do I really see him as this God of love who has, you know, not only out of his nature revealed himself as love, not, not only is he, you know, through what he has said and done and, and put his love on display through the, the sacrifice of my savior on the cross and, and sought after me and loved me and died for me and brought me into relationship with himself. Even when I didn't deserve it or earn it, I had to ask myself if he did all of that for me and I ought to be loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have to ask myself, when I look into the mirror, do I see a man who is loving God and loving people? And can I submit to you that this morning, I hold up a mirror of the word of God and I ask you the same thing. When you look into a mirror, do you see a man or a woman looking back at you that you can say is a man or a woman who's loving God and who's loving people? Because if not, then we have to ask ourselves this important question. Have I somewhere missed who God is in his love? Have I somewhere got this out of, out of whack, got this out of alignment Because if I have, everything else will be out of alignment in my life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.